If you appreciate Issues Etc., our 24-7 music and talk stations, and our daily verse-by-verse Bible study, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, please include a bequest in your will or trust for these worldwide media resources. Bequests aren't subject to federal tax or capital gains taxes. Ensure your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren the opportunity to listen by including a bequest in your will or trust for Issues Etc., Lutheran Public Radio, and the Word of the Lord endures forever. Only in the last year or so, maybe two years, have we woke up to the real situation in American education. And by the time we saw what was going on, in some cases it was too late, but it is safe to say that the woke ideology is firmly embedded, now almost an integral part to public education. Now, you can go to a school board meeting and you can squawk about it, and that's not a bad idea, but it's going to take more than that to change the educational policies and ideas, especially when our teachers are being trained in many cases on woke ideology as well. They come out of school ready to promulgate all those ideologies. Welcome back to Issues Etc. Joining us to talk about requirements for future Minnesota teachers to advocate for transgender ideology and critical race theory, Dr. Ryan McPherson. He's a Minnesota native, author of the book Rediscovering the American Public, and a recent column for The Federalist titled, Minnesota Will Soon Make Teachers Endorse Child Mutilation to Get a License. Ryan, welcome back. Thank you, Todd. What is Minnesota, what is its teaching licensure board planning to require of all teachers? Sure. Well, the easiest way to answer that is just to read for you some of their own words. So this is from the Professional Education Licensure and Standards Board, or Pelsby. Quote, the teacher fosters an environment that ensures student identities, such as gender identity and sexual orientation, are affirmed and incorporated into a learning environment where students are empowered to learn and contribute as their whole selves. The teacher features, highlights, and uses resources that offer diverse perspectives on gender, sexual identity, and other identities traditionally silenced or omitted from curriculum. And it goes on from there. Beyond the obvious moral concerns, you say that what is at stake here is the nature of knowledge, the future of liberty, and social order. What do you mean by that? Well, as you read Pelsby's proposed new standards, you find very quickly that they essentially require teachers to deny the objectivity of truth. Instead, teachers must promote in all viewpoints, especially radical leftist viewpoints or equal attitude. Teachers are required to ignore the body-soul duality of human nature. Teachers instead must treat human nature solely in material terms, negating not only the soul, but also the intellect, the passions, the emotions, basically just reducing each person, each student, to an embodiment of socioeconomic class or gender identity or status of oppressor or oppressed within what critical theory calls an intersectionality matrix. And that word is used in the standards. The unity of human nature also must be denied. Instead, teachers must divide people into groups by self-styled gender spectrum identity or racist categories and other criteria, actively promoting the notion that those differences are more fundamental to a person's identity than, say, having God's moral law imprinted in their hearts or possessing, in common with all of their neighbors, uniquely human capacities for language or creativity or something like that. 
what specific requirements are going to be made of teachers? Well, again, I think the easiest way to get at that is to pull out some of the key words from a rather lengthy policy document. So the following are quotations. Affirm, incorporate, help students develop, modify instruction, use strategies and resources, foster an environment that ensures student identities, support, plan how to achieve each student's learning goals by choosing LGB, et cetera, curricula, feature, highlight, and use resources that promote essentially cultural Marxism, create opportunities for students to learn about power, privilege, intersectionality, and systemic oppression, explore their own intersecting social identities, utilize tools to mitigate their own behavior or to disrupt oppressive systems, recognize the responsibility to question normative school knowledge, and so on. So those are some of the active verbs and interspersed would be the details, but I want you to notice those verbs are not learning about, learning about different perspectives. This is different than, you know, you can go back 30 years with a controversy over whether evolution should be taught in the public schools and whether creation should have equal time with evolution. And many Christian teachers and Christian students, Christian parents sending their children to public school have come to terms with that, realizing that if you're in a classroom where you have to learn about evolution, you can do that in good conscience so long as you're not forced to advocate it or agree with it or participate in it. And as you notice from those key verbs, here the teacher is required to be very forthright in endorsing a worldview that is contrary to human nature and in direct opposition to Holy Scripture. Tell us about the classes in cultural competency that are already required of teachers. Yes, and just to clarify, the new proposed standards are for students who are seeking, in a teaching program, who are seeking to become licensed, get a new license as a teacher. There already are in place some rather similar requirements for existing teachers who need to renew their license, and those are called cultural competency requirements. They were adopted, I believe, in the year 2020. And a typical way of approaching that in a continuing education seminar is to use what's known as the intercultural development continuum and to take an assessment known as the intercultural development inventory, which was developed by a company by that same name. It's a group of people with degrees in education and social work and so forth. And so they present this continuum going from a monocultural to an intercultural level of understanding, which at first sounds fine but it's in how they define the terms. You go from denial, which they define as the misuse of differences, to polarization, which they define to be judging one culture is better than the other, to minimization, which they define to be de-emphasizing cultural differences. And finally, you get up to a, a green level, if you will, to acceptance, which they defined as a form of deep comprehension. And then the fifth and final stage is adaption, where you can bridge across cultures. And again, at first, that might sound good and helpful, but notice that acceptance was defined as deep comprehension and that any form of judgment is considered what? Like you're not comprehending it. If you really understood it, you would accept it. This eliminates the possibility that true understanding recognizes the difference between good and evil and that there is a standard written into the human heart of the difference between good and evil by which it's appropriate to judge within every culture what is good about that culture and what is bad about that culture, what is praiseworthy, what should be encouraged, and what needs to be warned against. And so this approach fails to distinguish 
basic moral principles. It also fails to distinguish the difference between what is essential and what is accidental about human nature. Essential features that all humans have in common versus accidental characteristics that might be a product of culture or language or upbringing. And again, some of those can be fine to vary and have diversity. And in other cases, some of those are contrary to nature and are immoral. And so those kinds of distinctions need to be made rather than just say, well, don't be monocultural, be intercultural. What kind of interculture? What aspects of cultures will we value and why? And upon what basis will we be ready to judge something is wrong if we need to? Are there any exceptions in these requirements for conscience, for free speech, for religion? Well, Pelsby thinks that there are, and I'll read their statement and then discuss it. This is a quotation from Pelsby's response to the public outcry that occurred this fall in Minnesota. Pelsby maintains the proposed rules will not violate a teacher's constitutional rights. A teacher does not need to hold a particular religious or political belief in order to meet the standards of effective practice. Now, in a rather facile sense, that statement is true because you don't have to hold to one particular religion or to one particular political persuasion to agree with what Pelsby has set forth. On the other hand, their statement is highly misleading because there are quite a number of political positions, and more importantly, there are quite a number of religious systems that are in fact being alienated by this very program. And so the Federalist, after my article came out, printed a news story. The headline was something to the effect that Christians, Jews, and Muslims will be excluded from licensure in Minnesota. And if these new standards are followed through to the letter, that's exactly what will happen. Perhaps someone who nominally considers himself to be a Christian could still pass muster. But anyone who wants to live up to the name of Christianity and to maintain God's understanding of chastity and marriage and God's understanding of the fundamental unity that all people have, regardless of race or ethnicity, anyone who wants to hang on to those traditional values that used to be mainstream in our country will be excluded from licensure by the basis of these new standards. Are these ideologies already part of teacher training in Minnesota? To some degree, yes. And again, the, the 2020 cultural competency standards require it for those who are renewing their license, which comes up every few years. But what we're seeing in the new standard is really a notch or two higher. Again, with that example I gave earlier about the way evolution has been in the standards for years, it used to say, teach about, become aware of, be able to discuss, welcome diverse perspectives in that discussion. But now it's moving more in the direction of advocating one particular and narrow and radical perspective within that debate. It's closing off debate. In the name of diversity, it's actually excluding what would be a diverse viewpoint. And it's only the latest attack on truth in Minnesota public schools. We'll find out more on that from Dr. Ryan McPherson next. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January would make a great gift for your pastor. It's the new Concordia Commentary on John, chapter 7, verse 2, to chapter 12, verse 50. 
This latest Concordia commentary is written by Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Bill Weinrich. Learn more about our January Book of the Month at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040, the new Concordia commentary on John 7-2-12-50. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatic Series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com and like them on Facebook, facebook.com slash lutheracademy. Are you living in central Iowa and longing for a church where the gospel is boldly confessed in all of its purity? Are you tired of hearing the latest purpose-driven how to live your best life now TED Talk? Are you desperate to hear the preaching of the cross which brings you and your children the knowledge, peace, and comfort of the gospel? Then come to Holy Cross Lutheran Church. Located in Carlisle, Iowa at the southeast corner of Des Moines, we're a short ride from everywhere in the city. Visit our website, holycrosscarlisle.org. Your comprehensive source for information, teaching, and truth. You're listening to Issues Etc. At the center of our campus is Kramer Chapel, and there's a reason for that. Issues Etc. guest, Dr. Arthur Just. Because it is the heartbeat of Concordia Theological Seminary. It is where we go to hear the voice of Jesus and frequently be fed with the body and blood of Christ. We sometimes call it our Jerusalem. Kramer Chapel points to the classroom, which we sometimes call Athens. It is there that we do theology, biblical studies, systematic theology, practical theology, history. We love theology here, and we love the study of it, and we love coming together in worship, it's one of the things that gives us great joy. Joy in worshiping, joy in studying theology. Concordia Theological Seminary is all about the joy of being in Jesus. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, ctsfw.edu. Do you long for a church where the gospel of the sinner's free justification is front and center, and yet where a robust sacramental life is confessed and lived? Do you long for a church that rejoices in the sacred scriptures as the sole basis for the church's teaching and proclamation, yet values and listens to the witness of the ancient fathers and councils? Welcome to the Lutheran Church. We are what you've been looking for. Find a Christ-centered, cross-focused church near you on the Find the Church page at issuesetc.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking with Dr. Ryan McPherson, author of the book Rediscovering the American Public in a recent column for the Federalist titled Minnesota Will Soon Make Teachers Endorse Child Mutilation to Get a License about Minnesota's requirements for the public school teachers. Ryan, you say this is only the latest attack on truth in Minnesota's public schools. How is that? About a decade ago, uh, there was a major revision in the social studies content standards. And just to clarify, what we're talking about today is the standards that, according to which teachers are trained. But then there's another set of standards where students have to complete lesson plans and demonstrate that they have learned certain things. And so it was the social studies standards that apply to student learning that were radically changed about a decade ago. Removed from the standards were certain benchmarks associated with 
Washington and Jefferson, the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the four presidents who appear on Mount Rushmore, Susan B. Anthony, Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King Jr. Basically, content was significantly watered down. And what remained of things such as the U.S. Constitution, it was rephrased in such a way as to present the Constitution as kind of the narrow viewpoint of a group of white men from the late 18th century, rather than a document that bore witness to timeless truths that, in fact, have been emulated in nations the world over, largely to the benefit of many. Is Minnesota the only state that has requirements like this? No. In fact, Minnesota's own policy proposal was required by law to include supplementally, supplemental material that would show a justification uh, for what they were doing. It's called a statement of necessity and reasonableness. And throughout that document, there were many quotations taken from educational standards in New York and in Illinois, and those were seen as models for Minnesota. How are conservatives reacting there in the state? Well, back in August and September, when there were public hearings, hundreds of parents testified orally as well as submitting written testimony, raising objections. And more recently, there is talk of some lawyers seeking plaintiffs, perhaps a college or perhaps a professor or perhaps a college student who's seeking to complete an education program and get a license, who would file a lawsuit on the basis of a First Amendment violation with respect to religious liberty and the no establishment clause. Can these standards, these requirements, be challenged in court? I expect that they will, in fact, be challenged in court. The procedure by which the standards get put in place is, is kind of a labyrinth. It involves a state agency having public hearings and, and presenting this, and then eventually it goes to a, a single judge, actually, an administrative judge who signs off on it, and the judge did so in December, um, asking for some minor tweaks, but nothing very substantive. And then after that, it effectively has the force of law, even though it was never deliberated on by a, an elected body, like a state legislature or even, even a school board. So that's how it comes into process. And it can't be appealed the way that a normal case could, but rather you would initiate a, a claim for a constitutional violation. And I think you have really a two-pronged strategy that you could try here. One would be to argue that the state is essentially establishing its own religion, a religion of critical race theory, a religion of wokeness, a religion of transgenderism, and that the state is forcing that upon the public school system. So that would be to, to appeal to the no establishment clause of the First Amendment. The other approach would be to say that the state requires the teacher to change the teacher's religion in order to remain qualified as a teacher. In other words, that the state is denying the teacher religious liberty to maintain deeply and sincerely held religious beliefs that, in fact, have been quite common and mainstream throughout much of our nation's history, and instead to succumb to a radical takeover of the hearts and the minds of the American people. If it fails in court, what then? Well, I think there are still a variety of, of remedies, and really it depends who you are and what your position is. So college administrators who are running education programs that prepare students for licensure by the state, those programs can choose whether to teach this or not, and they can risk being taken to court themselves. At the school level, the principals and the teachers can also decide how much of this they will implement 
on a day-to-day basis and again, risk their job, risk being taken to court. But really it comes down to the parents, the parents deciding where to send their children and whether to tolerate this level of tyranny. We do have for ourselves models from history from which parents and teachers both can learn. I think particularly of Norway during the World War II era, when five out of six teachers resigned and a similar proportion of parents sent letters of protest to the education department, which had been taken over by by Nazi leaders who had infiltrated the state's uh, education system. And they refused to enroll their children in these Nazi youth camps. The teachers refused to teach the new curriculum that was demanded of them by the new regime. And as a result, the Nazi forces, although they continued to militarily control the nation for part of the war, they never really penetrated to the hearts and minds of the people. Another model would be to think about China during the Cultural Revolution of the 1960s, when students themselves started their own anti-indoctrination, or you might say indoctrination reversal camps. University students were required to undergo Marxist indoctrination but they would meet afterwards in private groups and talk about what their professor just shoved down their throats and they would kind of deconstruct it. And actually many of them being Christians, they would literally recatechize themselves around the truths of the Bible in order to protect themselves from this. So it's gonna take vigilance. It's going to take activity, not passivity, in order to take a stand and survive. How are we going to continue to license Lutheran school teachers? with unbiblical requirements like these? So in this instance, I think the church leadership needs to pause and reconsider business as usual and think outside the box moving forward. Very commonly, Lutheran schools have licensed teachers who go to either a public school, university, or else a Lutheran college or university that has an education program which itself fulfills state standards like the ones we're talking about today. However, Lutheran elementary and high schools are not necessarily required by state law to employ licensed teachers. And so if, in fact, your Lutheran elementary school or Lutheran high school desires to have a teacher who can follow God's word faithfully, and you don't want your teacher to be indoctrinated by this other way of thinking, then you should actually seek teachers who are qualified according to your doctrinal commitments, rather than qualified according to an apostate state. In, in other words, you don't necessarily need to major in education to be a teacher. Or if you do major in education, make sure it's in a program where God's word is central and a program that will not be bowing down to these demands of the state along the way. Dr. Ryan McPherson is a Minnesota resident. He's author of the book, Rediscovering the American Public, in a recent column for The Federalist titled, Minnesota Will Soon Make Teachers Endorse Child Mutilation to get a license. You can read it on the Talk On Demand archives page at issuesetc.org. Dr. McPherson, thank you. Thank you, Todd. Issues Etc. has been brought to you in part this week by Luther Academy. Luther Academy serves Lutheran pastors and lay people to the ends of the earth. Find out more about this confessional Lutheran worldwide mission outreach at lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. Next week on Issues Etc., we'll talk with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller about New Year's resolutions. We'll find out why Delano Squires says that pro-family conservatives need to be pro-men first. And we'll discuss making the sign of the cross with Dr. John Bombaro. 
I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. You're invited to a special life service Sunday afternoon at 3 on January 22nd at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Columbia, Illinois. Pastor Michael Salamink, Executive Director of Lutherans for Life, will be the guest preacher. What does Jesus have to do with life issues? Find out at a life service Sunday afternoon at 3, January 22nd at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Columbia, Illinois. Learn more at sidadvocatesforlife.com. In a world awash with all sorts of information, opinions, and ideas, there is still a place where God's Word is the central and only focus. Messiah Lutheran Church, 801 North Madison, Lebanon, Illinois. At 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, God's people gather there to listen to Him. There you will find His words of law and gospel, and of course, our Lord's Holy Supper. Bible classes focus on the Bible and the Lutheran Confessions. Come, listen, believe, and live, and check out our website at messiahlebanon.org.